Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, I talk to the director and writer, Stacey Gregg, about her spooky yet profound new movie, Here Before. Mark Ryle reviews the new version of Death on the Nile and Uncharted. Comedian Julie Jay chats about her favourite movie, plus your chance to win the now Oscar-nominated King Richard on DVD. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud, and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. I mentioned Oscar-nominated King Richard there, and it was, of course, the week of the Oscar nominations, and we had great Irish success. Belfast, romping home with seven nominations. Jesse Buckley, which I'm delighted about, The Lost Daughter, and uh, Van Morrison got a nod for Belfast as well. Now, Slightly dampened my mood when the BBC were referring to Jessie Buckley as English uh, or British. You know, she is, you know, in the past, you you cut them some slack. Daniel Day-Lewis, Alex Higgins, there's an argument for calling them British. But Jessie Buckley, she's like Killarney, cut from the stones of Kerry and the McGilly Cuddy Reeks. And don't mind me having to wear the shamrock too broadly but I just I just thought it was absurd you know but anyway let's let's stay in the light it was a great haul of nominations and you know uh, the Oscars you know people say it's past its sell-by date and it's not diverse enough and it's just all this backslapping with all these rich actors and actresses maybe that's true but you know what it still brings a lot of attention to movies that would not have an audience as big were it not for the Oscars so you take a movie like Belfast which is doing really well in the Irish box office and the English one. But now the world will be aware of it, or certainly certain parts of the world. So the Oscars are important for the business of movies, for the business of getting decent movies seen to as many people as possible. I think they work. So there'll be lots of Oscar talk on this show, if that's okay. And of course, you have to spare a thought for poor Corrine. And now here are the nominees for performance by an actor in a supporting role. Kareen Hines in Belfast. Yes. Kieran Hines was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Belfast. So let's hope Kieran Hines might be in the running for that. Now, in TV, I was watching this. Who is this person? Who the hell is Anna Delvey? I might have a story. Anna Delvey is a masterpiece, bitches. I want to tell you about my friend, Anna. I think she's a con woman. Yeah, now that's a clip from Inventing Anna, which lands on Netflix this Friday, the 11th of February. Now, you may have heard about this. It's from Shonda Rhimes, the woman who gave us Grey's Anatomy. So this woman can seriously do TV. It's all about the true story of the convicted fraudster, Anna Sorkin, who was better known as Anna Delvey, as you heard there. Now, she posed as a wealthy German heiress. She got people to foot the bills for hotels and restaurants and shopping trips and overseas travel. She was convicted of larceny and theft and imprisoned in 2019. This series is a fictionalized account of her fraudstering people and also 
the relationship she builds up with the journalist who kind of did a great story on her in New York magazine, How Anna Delphi Tricked New York's Party People by a journalist called Jessica Presler. And in this Netflix series, you kind of have Anna and the reporter Jessica having this kind of love-hate funny bond and Jessica's trying to get the story from Anna who's kind of reluctant but then decides to go with it while she's awaiting trial and the reporter has to really fight to kind of get the answers you know to what actually went on with this fraudster Anna Delphi. I've watched the first two it's not bad I mean it's not keeping me awake at night or, or, or pulling me home you know I can't wait to get in in the evenings and watch it that kind of thing but it's pretty decent it's entertaining it's well acted it, it flits around a lot it's very fast paced you heard there from the kind of trailer there's it's kind of a hip-hop vibe nearly the way it moves about it's very lush looking and it kind of sends up the party scene in new york because really it's about obviously this fraudster but it's also about i suppose how easy it was to trick these rich people who had more money than sense so it's worth a look Inventing Anna, now streaming on Netflix. Now, quickly, I just want to mention Boba Fett, the book of Boba Fett, actually, on Disney+. Plus. We have a lot of Star Wars fans on this show. The finale was on. We've talked about it a bit over the last few weeks, but the final, it was only seven episodes. The final episode was pretty good. There was a killer kind of battle scene that went on for nearly the whole episode, which I enjoyed. But I'm still left with the feeling having looked at the whole series you know what was the point of that really i just don't think boba fett had a big enough story to be told and if you've been watching it you'll know that they bought baby yoda grogu and the mandalorian back into the episodes and you almost felt like they were saying the writers and creators there's not enough here let's bring back the people from the mandalorian and other people showed up from Star Wars has gone by, let's just say. And, uh, you know, The Mandalorian season one and two, I used to literally wake up on Friday and say to my eldest boy who watched it all with me, it's Mandalorian day. I wasn't saying that about Boba Fett. I just think it was kind of pointless. I watched it all because I'll watch anything to do with Star Wars. Chewbacca getting his hair cut, anything. But uh, this, the juice was not worth the squeeze, my friends. But look, there will be a lot more Star Wars serials coming from Disney. There's a season three of The Mandalorian. There's a whole thing about Obi-Wan Kenobi coming in May of this year. So let's wait and see. But I certainly hope the next installments have a bit more to them. Now, we have a great DVD to give away for our competition this week. King Richard, which is now an Oscar-nominated movie, which tells the story of Richard Williams, who is played by Will Smith, and Richard Williams is the father of the Williams sisters, the wonderful tennis players, Serena and Venus. And it's a pretty uplifting movie. He was a very unorthodox coach to his two daughters and their manager. And they grew up on the mean streets of Compton. And he had a big part as the day in getting them to where they were. I went to see this movie. It was a public screening and there was a lot of young people in the audience and they clapped, they cheered when it was over. I haven't had that in a while in a movie theatre, as they say in the States. I haven't had that in the cinema in a long time. So it is a very uplifting movie and well worth a watch. And I think Will Smith is probably going to win an Oscar 
for King Richard. Uh, I'm not sure if he's as good as Benedict Cumberbatch is, but I think he's going to win it because I think this is the type of movie Oscar love. Anyway, it's well worth a watch. We have five copies of King Richard to give away on DVD this week. Simply text the word KING, followed by your name, to 53106, or you can email us screentime at newstalk.com. And Marie Kane will pick a winner, and it's your chance to win the Oscar nominated movie King Richard on DVD. And now we turn to the week's new releases, and we're looking this week at the, I suppose, much talked about Death on the Nile. Yes, the remake of the Agatha Christie novel and, of course, movie. And also a movie that Mark Ryle had precious little time to prepare himself for, Uncharted. But he has prepared himself and he's raring to go. Mark, how are you? Well, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's not overstate your preparedness. So listen, exactly. uh, Death on the Nile, uh, Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot. Uh, there's some stuff about Army Hammer in the news that isn't very nice. So there's a lot mm. to this movie. Uh, tell us, though, what's going on in this movie. And I guess in Death on the Nile, people probably know, but just refresh people our People probably do, yeah. You, we wait all all year for a Kenneth Branagh movie and then to arrive all at once. <laughs> Belfast is still in cinemas and doing remarkably well. Um, and yeah, and Rom Tome with seven Oscar nominations, we should say. Exactly. Well. Yeah, yeah, well deserved. Um, so the release of Death in the Nile was is postponed so many times that, that two members of the cast have, have since gone out of their way to destroy their careers. And I doubt that if it was being cast today that either Army Hammer or Letitia Wright would be in Death on the Nile, if it was being cast at the moment. But anyway, after a delay of of two years, and I think it was five or six different release dates, Death on the Nile is finally in cinemas. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the the the, the Peter Euston of 1973 version, then that's grand. Um, the story is not going to hold many surprises for for everyone else, though. It does deviate ever so slightly, but the overall arc is, is quite similar. It is set in 1937, and the world-renowned detective Hercule Poirot is holidaying in Egypt, and he ends up traveling down the Nile on a steam liner alongside the young, wealthy heiress Lynette Ridgway and her new gold-digging husband, Simon Doyle. But Doyle's wronged ex-lover Jacqueline Belfort has also ended up on the voyage and she is out for revenge. Right. Now, I have vivid memories of Peter Houston off, probably seeing it on a Sunday afternoon, and he was great. Uh, so it just leads to the question, did we need another version of this? Well, Based on the evidence of you having seen it. I haven't seen it, by the way. Yeah, okay. It's a bit like eating a big chocolate cake for dinner. I mean, it's, it's lovely okay. going down. But it's not very nourishing, and you'll probably hate yourself afterwards. Okay. Now, now, I will admit that I was appalled at the notion of remaking Murder on the Orient Express. Um, also a Kenneth Branagh remake. Yeah, yeah, from 2017, I yeah. think. Uh, so, but but uh, I, I was really pleasantly surprised by what, what Branagh did with it. And this one, I think, has the advantage of arguably being a better story than Murder on the Orient Express. Um, and again... It's just a great mix of old school glamour and good old fashioned storytelling. And mm-hmm. it's all apologetic, old fashioned entertainment. It also looks gorgeous. Oh, well, that sounds pretty nice. Uh, but I suppose uh, you didn't answer my question, but I just mean it sounds that it's pretty decent. Old, but is it a pointless remake? It's well, all remakes are pretty pointless. And yeah, I, I think you can't get through a Christmas without seeing Death on the Nile and uh, Evil Under the Sun. Um, I think. 
Brana generally keeps things quite light. Um, the, there is also a bit of a dark edge to his poro, a bit of pathos mm. and melancholy, which I'm not sure adds much to the whole thing. Um, in terms of the scripts, it's a little muddy and the characters kind of lack clarity of purpose. I think the 1978 movie, the characters were more drawn out with, with less development and less screen time and less scripts. For some reason, they get more uh, airtime in this, but we know less about them. Mm. Um, I think I think David Suchet is probably the definitive Poirot, but he had the advantage of almost 25 years playing the, the part. Yeah. And I, I don't think Peter Euston of he, I don't think he's, he's under threat, but I think Brana comes a very respectable second in terms of, of screen quarrels. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but you have to doff your half to him. Like, he's a busy man who acts, directs, is on his way to winning Oscars. Like, he really is, you know, the polymath of the cinema world in a way. He really is, yeah. I think it's it, it's probably a product of his, his theatrical roots, but one thing mm. that he does really well is blocking and staging or how the actors are placed and how they move in relation to the camera and some of the shots in this i've said it looks gorgeous but some of the shots that brana has set up they're incredibly ambitious and it's just mesmerizing what the cinematographer does with them and mm-hmm. it, there, there's also a steady elegance to the whole thing um some of it was shot on location in Morocco, but the, the location footage, it looks weirdly artificial and you would be forgiven for thinking that not a single frame was shot outside of a soundstage. But what that does is to give the whole thing a consistent look and feel. And it's it's all very clean and it's pristine. And it's as though we get the impression that this story is kind of unfolding under a, a hermetically sealed, what, what do you call those? A cake shield, those things they put on top of cakes. A, um, cake, a cake cover? A cake shield? Cake shield. Text I, us now on 53106. I'm going to call it a cake shield. Yeah. We should probably, before we finish, we should probably talk about the moustache. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just killing time, really, till they got to that. <laughs> We're talking about I, Kenneth Branagh's moustache. Yeah, it's it's face furniture that is so impressive that it has its own backstory. Death on the Nile opens with a prologue that's set in World War One, Belgium, and it turns out to be the origin story of the moustache. <laughs> and it's really, a, it's an architectural marvel. It's, it, what, what it is, in fact, it's a moustache on top of another moustache. I think if, if Sam Elliott's moustache in The Big Lebowski and Tom Selleck's moustache in Magnum had a baby, it would grow up to be, to be Branagh's moustache. Wow. Okay. Now, listen, the elephant in the room of sorts is Army Hammer, uh, since this was made, has been accused. Yep. Now, he hasn't been found guilty, but he has been accused of pretty horrific things. I get the sense that, uh, well, I don't know from Adam, let's be honest about it, but I think he would, because he's been dropped from certain movies, he's probably in this too much for them to take it out. Is that what, that's what I'm sensing. Um, I think I think what what happened was it was it was would have cost too much to to reshoot his scenes. He's in it a significant. I mean, it's a, it's a huge cast, mm. um, but yeah, I think it probably would have worked out too expensive. It's it, the cast isn't quite as impressive as Murder on the Orient Express. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of highlights. Annette Benning is is is, is fantastic. Um, just in terms of the cast, there's there's really nothing wrong with big acting and being overtly theatrical in an Agatha Christie. I mean. I suppose you could say that it's it's a necessity. Mm. There are a couple of suspects here, though, whose hammy performances they're probably not intentional. Um, okay. As I, I, I think I said, Branagh was he's got the tone right, and Annette Benning again is is great. But there's a there's more than one hammy turn here that could be described as TV grade. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm what, not going to be unkind and name names. Okay, well, that's fine. Uh, what, what would you say stars wise then for this version um, of Death on the Nile? I'm going to give it a, a four 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. My, my only misgiving is that I think it should have been released at Christmas. There's something about murder mysteries and Christmas that go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see that coming, a four. It sounded like you were shaping up for a three, but there you go. No, it's it's solid. It's solid, yeah. Like chocolate cake solid. Chocolate cake. There's <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of cake metaphors in that. Yeah, there is. Absolutely. Cake-orientated kind of fellow. Sweet tooth is Mr. Ryle. Okay, so that's four for this yeah. version of Death on the Nile, which is in cinemas this Friday, the 11th of February. Let's take a quick clip. We have the Karnak all to ourselves until Abu Simbel. Don't worry about your things, darling Louise. We'll go back and pack up all your rooms for you and meet us at Jalan. Happy to miss Thank you. We have a piano tuned, a chef stolen from Shepherds of Cairo, and enough champagne to fill the Nile. Death on the Nile there, uh, which Mark gave four to. Now, Mark, you didn't have a huge amount of time to see our next movie, Uncharted. I, did not. I think you only saw it yesterday. Often when that happens, it means they're selling us a turkey or a pup. You know, yeah. it's really bad when there's no preview screening. But the day before <laughs> can be worrying. But I think you were yeah. slightly surprised by this. I was, yeah. The other thing is that, like, as we're talking, the embargo has has, has barely been lifted. Okay. And that all of that would suggest that that you know the distribution company don't have much confidence in it. Um, yeah, it's a bit like witnessing a mob hit. You don't really have any time to think about what just happened. <laughs> okay, so Uncharted. Tell us because yeah. a lot of people might have even heard about this. What, no. What's it about? Yeah, it's, it's it's based on a video game, which is never a good start. Um, also, Mark Wahlberg is in it, which is not the hallmark of quality. <laughs> and, <laughs> and finally, um, it's produced by no less um, August, a company than PlayStation Productions. Wow. Um, so, yeah, all the signs point to this not being very good but it, you know what i was i was really pleasantly surprised okay so what what's going on is uh, tom holland and mark Wahlberg. they play a pair of fortune hunters on a globe trotting quest searching for magellan's gold um from new york to barcelona to peru uh holland's character nathan drake is he is also hoping to find his long lost brother who's been missing for 15 years and then Mark Wahlberg is playing Victor Sullivan. He's an older fortune hunter who's been around the block a few times. And one of the the nuggets of wisdom that he keeps repeating is to trust no one. And as soon as anyone in a movie says, don't trust anyone, you know that they're going to be ripped off. Okay. And so th for some reason, again, I just didn't, I was doing other things in the cinema this week, so I didn't get to see this. So this has nothing to do with space then. They're not no. in space. No. No, no, no. It's quite earthbound. Okay, yes. So so it would seem. So they're traversing the globe, the four corners of it, to find no this gold. Yeah. Yeah. It, it yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, and but it's 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 not magic realism then, or is it? Or no, 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 no. It's 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 very generic and we've 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 seen plenty of these Indiana Jones quest obsessed yes. rip-offs like National Treasure and Tomb Raider and mm -hmm. Sahara and Red Notice. Um, I suppose even the Da Vinci Code has got something yeah. in common and with this. Listeners, regular listeners will know we have to be very careful when we invoke anything to do with Raiders of the Lost Ark because it's Mark's favourite movie. So you I know, will, I will slap those words out of your mouth. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I have to, in fairness, though, Uncharted is one of the better ones. I mean, okay. yes, it, it is dumb as a bag of hammers. But I think if you leave your brain at the door, it's not without merit. It's very amiable and it's good humoured. And there's there's a pretty good flow to proceedings with, with one bit leading, if not, I suppose, not logically, then reasonably to the next bit. And it also gets its business done in under two hours. Um, okay. 
Holland and Wahlberg, they do have a pretty good chemistry. But I suppose um, an inanimate carbon rod would probably have good chemistry with Tom Holland because the guy is just, he's undeniably charming. And yeah, no, un, he is, un, he is. He is, yeah, yeah. And Uncharted it relies a lot on, on that charm. Um, in terms of action, uh, yeah, unfortunately, the action sequences are probably the weakest aspect okay. of this. Um, a lot of it seems to have been designed without any thought as to how stupid it's going to look on the big screen. Yeah. Like, okay, I want this guy to get thrown out of an airplane and to, then to bounce across these cargo crates that are flying in midair like he's skipping over stones on a pond. Well, you know, that's going to look ridiculous. I, I don't worry about it. Nobody will notice. <laughs> and, you know, it's it, again, once again, it's just zeros and ones and there's no sense of physics or gravity mm. or danger or peril, you know. Um, the good news, though, is that there's not too many of these CG sequences. Um, okay. And a lot of the action in this is kind of on... Uh, is of the you know the, the that parkour free running variety yeah 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 so that's a lot harder to mess up yeah so am i sensing is it is it too bold a phrase to suggest you were pleasantly surprised i really was pleasantly surprised for okay. all of the above <laughs> i was expecting this to be awful but okay it's, it's really uh, my my one caveat i was as i would i would imagine that i am not familiar with the game at all and it's possible that if you are a fan of the game you might be disappointed. I um, I don't know anything about it. I yeah, couldn't well, care you know, I, to me, you know, saying to people, oh, if you didn't like the game, you might like the movie. Or if you like the game, you might like the movie. That's just a wrong conversation. Do you it know what I mean? Bit, isn't it? So, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, they're two separate, they're, there's two separate things, yeah, you know? exactly. Okay, I so what would agree. you say, what would you say stars-wise for Uncharted? I, I'm going to give it a three, and that might be down yeah. to an overwhelming sense of relief. But it's really, <laughs> it's really not bad at all. Yeah, well, he's having his cake and eating it this week. It would appear, folks. Boom, boom. So that is three, for, three, I should say, not three, three for Uncharted, which is also in cinemas this Friday, the 11th of February. Sweet stuff, Mark. Thank you. Thanks, John. Up next, another great new movie coming from Northern Ireland. Now you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks, TV and Movie Show. Now, opening next weekend in cinemas on the 18th of February is a new Irish movie called Here Before. It tells the story of new neighbours who move in to the next-door house of Laura, played by Andrea Riseborough and her family. Laura and the newly arrived little girl strike up a friendship. We learn that Laura lost her daughter of around the same age several years ago. As her interest in the little girl intensifies, so do tensions between the two households, escalating until what is unspoken must get out as Laura's own family risks falling apart. At times it's a psychological drama, at other times there's touches of horror about it. It's a very, very intriguing movie. Now it premiered in the South by Southwest, the famed film festival in Texas earlier this year and it went on to win Best Irish Film at the Galway Film Festival. It's the first time feature of Stacey Gregg, who's a Belfast-born writer, director and performer working across film, TV and theatre but as I say this is her first directorial or her first directed movie. Stacey how are you? I'm great thanks very much how are you? I'm very well I really enjoyed your film and I, I'm curious I, I know ideas come from everywhere but it, it, it's kind of an intriguing idea what was the inspiration for you or what was the germ of the story? I really came from the little girl um, and I, I, I would say that the, there are some similarities between her and me at that age. Um, and <laughs> She's I, quite know, precocious. 
Right. And she also gets into some trouble and, you know, <laughs> yeah. she's got a big imagination. And, you know, I, I think I was definitely a spooky kid. I was really into the paranormal. Um, and, and I think I've always been interested in how kids pick up on psychic energies and things that are unsaid or mm. sometimes unknown, you know, and just felt. Um, so, so really, the story originated in that in that character and the prem and the premise of the film being, you know, that she moves somewhere she's never been before, yeah, um, and and seems to recognize things and know things she couldn't. And then thereafter, it was a real process of of discovery um, through Laura's character mm. uh, in terms of where the film uh, landed. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that because there's several places it lands. I, I don't want to pry, but one thinks when you describe the character being like you, were you witness, I mean, we all are to some extent by virtue of being alive, but were you witness to a particular amount of trauma in your young life? I, I mean, that's a tricky question. It's all relative, isn't it? I sure. Think, I, I have mentioned sometimes that growing up in working class Belfast in the 90s, I mean, yes. <laughs> okay. You know, like I think that we, there were a lot of things in our environment and, you know, in discussed among adults um, that, that was pretty mature stuff and you mm. had to grow up pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also saw people grapple with very difficult um, issues of trauma and grief. You know, one of the things that was important to me about the film was how how women and mothers are are represented dealing with those things because often mm. we see them as broken and hysterical you know and yeah. that's certainly not who Laura is you know I saw women who were strong and who wanted to battle and survive for their family and keep things together and you know there's something really strong and admirable in that um, mm. so yeah I mean I guess it, it wasn't it wasn't anything directly you know biographical but I think that the the texture of the film and, and the way that people behave in it was all very familiar to me. Sure. Now, I, you know, I said at the start, you know, psychological drama, there's touches of horror in there. It's a thriller. You know, what's kind of fascinating about it is, you know, one story is being told, but there's, you know, a polyphony of stories in a way, depending on your viewpoint. Like, I really liked the way the movie changed and, you know, it could be paranormal, but it could be something else. You know what I mean? Were, were you conscious of that during the writing process Absolutely. or the filming process? Absolutely. So it's something that I've always been quite invested in, even from storytelling that I would have done previously to this. I love the idea of multiple interpretations. I love the idea that life isn't tidy, that mm. it's messy, that we have different experiences. And if you can create that through you know, cinema, but even better. And I also think it speaks to the themes of the film in terms of how we deal with grief and love and loss and who are we to tell other people, you know, what to make of things. Mm. Um, so, you know, my, my my pleasure with the film is that people do have different experiences of it. And mm-hmm. also that's where the sort of, sort of hybrid genre thing comes in. Sure. You know, I think it's been marketed quite a bit as a thriller. I, you know, I would say actually there's a sort of philosophical horror to it. Yeah you know, because of what these families are going through. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, that's the film delights, I think, in being in the in-between places. And yeah. I think that I, as a filmmaker, like to create spaces um, 
rather than tell an audience, you know, how to feel or what to think. Yeah, well, it's the in-between spaces where life happens, really, let's yes. face it, you know. It's funny you say uh, philosophical horror. It's not a it's not a phrase I heard before, but but I like it. it, it it's a I, I don't know whether it, I made it up or I stole it, but like... <laughs> yeah, it might be a hard one for a category on Netflix or whatever. Oh, completely, but... but that's it. And so that's the thing, you know, you're kind of battling with the film now is like mm. exactly that. It gets marketed in a certain way, but if you can Trojan horse something else in, like that's a bit of a bonus, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Andrea Riseborough is is great and it, no surprises there. But the girl who plays the young girl, uh, I believe the actress is, I, I'd never heard of her, unfortunately, Neve Dornan. Yeah. She was, she's fantastic. I mean, I presume if in a way she's you or some shape of you or whatever you must have hunted hard for her did you <laughs> I mean yeah I wasn't looking for a mini me but um <laughs> Neve is all her own energy you know yeah. and she is just there is just something about her you know she is both you know the age she was when we shot you know and childish and sweet but also just had this really wise, worldly little head on her shoulders. Mm. And, and and I, I you know, she, she hadn't, she was pretty inexperienced. So there was something very raw and open about, you know, her, the way she came to the film and to working on, you know, working on set. Um, and, and really, you know, when you just turn the camera over on her, there's a real stillness there, which was quite unusual, I think, among, you know, among the, the kids her age that we did see. Yeah. Um, and she, yeah, she's just great. And she, you know, I, I shouldn't do her a disservice, you know, describing her as precocious because she carries a, a darkness really well as well, it has to be said, you know, like there's serious depth there to such a young performer. It was very impressive. She, she's just so emotionally intelligent, you know, mm. and that was something that we picked up on really quickly. And that's what I mean is, you know, we she wouldn't really she wouldn't really learn sides or, or lines and we would run we would run the beats of the scene before we shot. And so it yeah. was very present and very live. Yeah. And, so there's a sort of thoughtfulness to that performance where sometimes when you work with younger actors and they've learned the lines and that's done, mm. you know, and I just feel like you can feel that on yeah. the screen. Now, this might be one for your location director or whatever, but I really like the setting of it. You're the main two families are neighbours and you've got this cul-de-sac and they're right at the end of it and it's two adjoining houses and it's, it's behind a mountain uh, and that kind of, has resonance for the movie as well. Did you like just come across those two houses and go bingo or did you scout long and hard for them? We scouted long and hard and then when we found them we went bingo. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um yeah, like that you know, that's the sort of thing that you are always looking for and mm. uh, and you hope that you'll nail those elements coming together and something that sort of has a visual poetry to it. Yeah. Um, and then all the logistics and the practicalities of, you know, will will we get the properties? You know, can we convince the families who live in them to go somewhere else for a week while we shoot, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, that really paid off. And it, it speaks so much to the, you know, the themes of the film. And I think going back to that philosophical horror thing, you know, the, the, something I was so invested in was like this this pretty mundane suburban world mm. and pushing it up, pushing up these families who live so close to each other mm. and, you know, really going for the uncanny and making it feel strange. And that location just did so much of that work. Yeah. Listen, I don't want to give any kind of spoiler, right? But I, I, I think it might be fair to say there is a brilliant plot development at one point right uh for want of a better phrase a twist call it what you want but that really was a wow moment uh was that 
you know, was that was that the basis of the story in your head? And we can talk in very vague generalities <laughs> about this, but because that might be the key or the second key to the movie. Did you have that in your mind all along? Well, it became such a dance because there are some people who don't, you know, when the information is disclosed yeah, and what people know, you know, we, we ran it for some test audiences. Some people don't, some people don't catch on. Some mm. people say, oh, I knew from, from halfway through or whatever. So again, it was always important to me that you could experience both ways of, of moving through the film and feel satisfied. Yeah. And as I say, things don't wrap up neatly with a bow at the end. No. So, <laughs> so I think there's enough in there um, that, that the reveal, if you like, or the, you know, how things turn on its head is very effective, but it's also not of itself you know, the only answer. So, you know, I think for me, that was, yes, that was always a real dance of how much, you know, how much we we show and at what point and, you know, what what an audience are left thinking. Now, I mentioned in the start, it was shown at South by Southwest. It won at Galway for Best Irish Film. You filmed this in 2019. Here we are, you know, the guts of three years later, a little thing called COVID came along. You must be bursting to get this into cinemas. It's, I mean, it feels like some kind of long, endless fever dream, you know, because <laughs> we, we got the finance relatively quick and it was like, go, go, go. And we shot it and it was all done at such speed. And then, of course, COVID hit, everything locked down, everything slowed down. Um, I didn't, you know, I hadn't seen it on a big screen, let alone with an actual audience mm. until it screened at Belfast Film Festival, which was only in November gone. Okay. Um, so it has been a long journey and it is just so lovely now to feel like I'm getting to share it. And also, like, of course, I'm so happy to have a theatrical release because mm. it's really tough at the minute for independent films. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the film was made with a cinematic eye, you know, yeah. I'm sure every director says this, but, you know, it, it's a visual piece. So I'm so excited that it's going to, you know, it's going to get its chance on the big screen. Absolutely. You know, I spoke uh, to the guys behind Wildfire or I, yeah. I can't remember what year it is anymore, but late last year at this stage, it would be. And it seems to me I'm getting more and more notes about northern irish movies uh you know i'm not sure if you're the person to answer this but i'm just wondering what your thoughts are is you know northern ireland's cinema time coming is it i don't know something to do with post ceasefire 20 years on or i don't know so it may just it may be a wonderful convergence and i Mm. am so buzzed if i am part of a wave of people i know that i've spent 10 years trying to write stories trying to make stories that are about the north that don't ignore the troubles, but but have something maybe more to say or sure. stories, you know that we haven't heard. And I think that for a long time people were like, well, if it's not directly and overtly about the troubles, what is it? You know. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we are in an interesting time where, you know, it, it, there's just been a real. There's not only a desire to make those things, but I think there's an appetite to, for them as well. Yeah. Um. And I'm I'm really excited to be part of that and it, you know Belfast Film Festival this year there was like five I think original productions you know it's it, you know it's really promising and and I'll tell you what it's not it's not because I think it's not it's not to, it's despite rather than because of um some kind of wave of finance and encouragement I think there's just been a real dogged desire to 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 make things mm-hmm. um and hopefully that's going to pave the way yeah. you know, for, for, for new and emerging filmmakers as well. 
Well, let's hope. And listen, finally, and something very different, I gather you're involved in this very big and fancy new HBO show called The Baby. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Are You're directing some of the episodes, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I did um, I did second block on it, so Eps 2 and 3, and that's that's going out really soon. Um, and again, it's the opposite. <laughs> it's the yeah, opposite. it is. Just tell people what The Baby's about. Um, well, the baby uh, is um, uh, a, it's a comedy horror um, about a woman in her late thirties who acquires a baby, and then um, is is sort of lumped with this responsibility and wants to try and get rid of the baby, but the baby's got other ideas. Okay, uh, and it's I mean it's wild. It's got. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. It was. It was an amazing thing to be part of and I have such a creative team and I my the main reason I was so excited to be part of it is it just feels really fresh mm. uh, so I'm so I'm really excited to see what people make of it it sounds fresh you said she acquires a baby yeah. I, I mean so she's not giving birth to a baby she nope. gets a baby okay well I'm intrigued and so were you flown off to California for three months to do this sir sadly not um uh, it shot well it was actually brilliant because it shot in and around London so okay. I, was, I was there for a couple of months last uh last summer doing great. that um which is great but but again you know late night you know all the I guess the rock and roll of late night HBO calls, you know, with LA and the time difference and all of that, you know, has its part to play. And everyone needs that moment in their life, the late night HBO calls, right? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, <laughs> nail biting. But um, I think that, you know, it's been really interesting. I think doing my first feature post COVID is one thing that's come out of it is how much is possible remotely. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something positive that, mm-hmm. that hopefully in the long run will actually make um, elements of filmmaking more accessible for sure. people. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a really positive thing. Well, listen, Here Before, which is a brilliant title. I meant to say that at the start. I love a nice pithy title. So uh, hats off on that. And it's it's a worthy title because it is a fantastic film. It is in Irish cinemas from the 18th of February. Its writer and director is Stacey Gregg. And thanks a lot for talking to me, Stacey. My pleasure. Thank you. Stacey Gregg there talking to me about her new movie Here Before, which is in Irish cinemas next week, the 18th of February. Up next, comedian Julie Jay on her favourite movie. Now you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone about their favourite movie. Julie Jay is one of the bright lights of the Irish comedy scene, a former teacher whose students told her she should be a comedian. Aside from her own shows and opening for the likes of Ardlo Handlin, you will have seen her on her TV screens emceeing the Tommy Tiernan show. She's doing her very first play this weekend called Oops, This is Toxic, which I'm told is a dark comedy examination of 90s and noughties misogyny which celebrates not just Britney, but everyone who survived an era wherein Timberlake flew high while Janet Jackson got grounded. Fascinating stuff. More of that anon. She's here to chat about her favourite movie. Hello, Julie J. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm delighted to be here. Now, tell me this. Your favourite movie, it's it's delightful. It's never been chosen. Will you tell our listeners what it is and why? I am so thrilled that it's never been chosen. I just presume someone would have picked it because it is just the most phenomenal 
beautiful movie I have ever watched. My pick has to be Moonlight. And people will know this is the movie that won the Oscar for Best Picture a few years ago and was also the one they said it was La La Land and then someone came back and said, actually, we read out the wrong card. It's Moonlight. It's a much better movie than La La Land as well. I mean, a million times better than La La Land. I think for me, like La La Land was enjoyable, don't get me wrong, but that moment when they're having dinner and she t- and Ryan Gosling says something um to his partner and apparently the worst possible thing you can tell someone is that they're just an actress and just the <laughs> over like of all the things that have been said to me over a dinner john i can tell you i've been called a lot worse than an actress in yeah. my time so at that moment i was definitely out but no it was just it was actually a surreal moment at the Oscars. And I suppose when you say Moonlight, it's probably one of the first things people think of was just that whole Oscars debacle. But that it really is just doing such a disservice to the film yeah. because it is the most beautiful, I think, like without a shadow of a doubt, the most emotional film that I've ever seen in my life. Wow. It's just incredible. It, it, it packs a huge emotional punch. Some people mightn't have seen it. Remind people what's going on in it. Yeah, so basically Moonlight, of course, it's essentially this uh, coming of age drama. It was made in 2016 and it was written and directed by Barry Jenkins. It was actually based on a play. So a play written by Terrell Alva McCraney. And it was essentially kind of a semi-autobiographical play called In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. And essentially it presents three stages in the life of the main character. So the main character is uh, called Sharon and there are three stages. So it's a film in three parts. We look at his childhood, his adolescence and his early life. And it basically looks at the difficulties he experienced. So coming to terms with his identity and sexuality and also the physical and emotional abuse that he grew up with as well. But I think for me, aside from the characters who are just utterly flawless I mean they are just unbelievably drawn so well drawn I found really interesting as well where this film is set so it's set in Miami Florida which I think you know it's one of those I don't know if you remember the film the um the Florida Project as yeah. well which was another one I loved I think so often you know generally speaking the settings are quite familiar you know they're either New York or LA I love the fact that this is set in Miami because it just gives you a different flavor. It has a flavor all of its own. And what's really, really so clever about this film is that obviously Sharon is growing up in a household where drug addiction is rife. His mother, Paula, um, is addicted to crack. And the twist here is that he forms a friendship, a really unlikely friendship with the drug dealer who's essentially supplying his mother with drugs. So that drug dealer's name is Juan. And of course, he was pay- played by Maher Shala Ali, who I had actually forgotten this until I went back and I just wanted to double check who won Oscars for what. He won an Oscar, I did remember that, but do you remember he was the first Muslim, imagine, to win an acting Oscar, which is just incredible that it took that length of time. But he is phenomenal. So their friendship is just so unlikely, and that's what really draws us in. And it is such a beautiful relationship. Mm. And that really is the relationship that saves him up until his adolescence. Yeah. And of course, there's, I suppose, a race issue at play as, you know, anyone who's black in America has a tougher time or certainly that's how this movie portrays it as well. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's, it's a completely black cast, which is so refreshing. But I think one of the criticisms which is often levied at Hollywood and it is a completely warranted criticism is that black characters are just not as well drawn as white characters. They don't get that chance to explore depth. They're not as nuanced. They're very one-dimensional. And in this film, that is completely not the yeah. case. And that is why it is just, I mean, I think, you know, there's certain Oscar moments that it doesn't matter who you are. It was really hard not to get emotional about it. And I think when Moonlight won the Oscar, it was really hard. Not, I mean, I'm actually welling up just thinking about it. It was just so lovely to see that cast and as well because it was such a huge cast. And that's yeah. what I love about this film also was that we see so many amazing actors. Like even Jarell Jerome plays um, Sharon's best friend in high school. And he, of course, was like, um, he's just an, an unbelievable actor and he was in When They See Us. I just think he is just such a brilliant watch. I could just watch him all day, but there's just so many, like Janelle Monet, uh, Naomi Harris is in this as well. It's just a, the most perfect cast. I, yeah. I just couldn't fall, fault any of them. And you're saying you're getting emotional, so I don't want to, you know, turn you <laughs> into a mess. But that thing that stays we with me about Moonlight is it's, it's a real emotional punch. Like you get oh. that feeling at times of... Oh, I'm not sure if I can keep going with this. I'm so undone by the emotion in this movie. Uh, absolutely. I don't know if I told you this because when I mentioned my pick, but I went to see this uh, pre-COVID. My favourite thing to do was to go to the cinema on my own. Mm -hmm. You know, I was one of those weirdos who lived in a house full of girls where I got on with all of them. And one of them might mention, you know what I'd like to see in the cinemas? Moonlight. And I just get in my car and go on my own to see the film. <laughs> Because I just, as much as I love to be sociable, watching movies is something I like to do on my own. Can I Can I interrupt? I completely agree with you. I love being in a cinema really? by myself. Absolutely. Oh. Because I, I don't want to talk to people when I'm watching no. movies. You know, we, yeah. let's talk when we're not in the cinema. We've 22 hours to talk and the rest of the day. So you, you I'm completely with you. Go on anyway. 100%. Sorry. So, I, so I went to see this in the lighthouse, one of my favourite places in the whole wide world. John, I was such a wreck after this film a member of staff actually came up and asked if I was okay <laughs> that like it was it wasn't like the cute you know couple of tears no, it no, was I like know. full on snots like free train tears I it just but it's I have never been at a film where as you say the emotional punch here like to say you are rooting for the character is understatement mm. of the century and obviously I won't give any spoilers here for anyone who hasn't sure. seen it but you know as somebody like I, I think I think anyone who has grown up in a situation where they have been victimized or bullied you know the adolescence is a really hard watch but then when we get to the third chapter which is so the first chapter is called Little which is obviously Sharon's nickname the second chapter is called Sharon where we see his really really difficult experiences um in high school and then the third chapter is called Black and the person he becomes as an adult really does not correlate with the person that we initially met, met as little. And I guess the big question that this film is posing is, and I suppose it's answered by the narrative itself, but what happens somebody to make that, I suppose, transition from the little boy that we meet and then the person we meet at the end is not necessarily the person we expected him to be? And what happens in the middle to make that so? 
Yeah. Well, that's a brilliant description of it, it really is. And I think you will you will inspire people to watch it. And as I say, she was a freight train of emotion uh, at the end of it and nearly had to be carried out of the lighthouse. So that is a wonderful choice. It's never been chosen before. And clearly it is your favorite movie. So thank you for that. Listen, in you, when people describe you, it always comes up the teacher who becomes a comedian because I guess, you know, people like me like the ease of that story. But really quickly, is is that like hyperbole or is it the case that you were a teacher, you did a few gigs and your students were in the audience and said, Miss, you should do this? Yes, it's well, it, I was doing the comedy for a while and I was teaching during the day, which surprises yeah. no one who meets me because there's a serious whack of moon tour of me for sure. <laughs> um, but no, I think, you know, after a couple of years of me trying out my comedy on them, you know, coming in saying things like any couples in. Then they were like, listen, Miss YOLO, you get one life. But it was funny. The last year I was teaching, um, I had a lovely group of six year students in Lucan Community College and I was supporting Tommy Tiernan at the time. And a couple of them actually got Tommy Tiernan tickets for Vicar Street as Christmas presents. And okay. imagine I just really felt for them when I looked out and saw their little faces in the audience because this was their Christmas present, getting to spend an extra 25 minutes with their <laughs> Irish teacher. How grim is that? But then afterwards, they were like, sure, why don't you give it a go? And, you know, sometimes I think that is what I really miss about teenagers and young people. And, you know, I do still get to work with them a bit, but there's just yeah. that optimism and sure, why not, which I love about them. People may know you are married to another comedian, Fred Cook. And, you know, I've spoken to a few musicians who are married or, or, or are together and they say, you know, that it's it can be a good thing to be with someone who does the same gig as you, particularly when it's an unusual gig, because there's a, you know, there's a leeway you kind of give each other. Now, I don't want to suggest you sit around telling each other knock knock jokes all day long, but is it does it suit your lives, the fact that you're both comedians? Oh, I think so. I mean, for sure. It's funny because people ask, you know, I'm, you know, is it like just jokes every 10 seconds in the gaff? You I'm know, sure it isn't. Laughs? Which, of course, it isn't. But I'll be honest, I really respect Fred as a comedian. And it is such a luxury to have someone like Fred that I can try stuff on. And he, he does the same to me. You know, he's always running material past me. And I think the fact that we really respect each other as comedians it's just it's an extra layer to the relationship because mm -hmm. he's somebody that I really, really respect his opinion. Like I often think it'd be very difficult if you're married to a bad comedian. You know, <laughs> that would be hard. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thankfully, neither of you are. So that's that's good. So listen, I mentioned the show in Smock Alley, which depending on when you're listening to this show is on this Saturday, 12th of February and also that Saturday. So if you're listening on the radio, there's still time to go down to Smock Alley or on Sunday, the 13th of February, also in Smock Alley. Now it's called Oops, is Julie J in the title or how do we give it its proper title? Oops, so, this is toxic or is it Julie J? Oops, this is toxic. Exactly. So the first one. So Oops, this is toxic is the name of it. It's my first play and it started out as a love letter to Britney Spears. So I actually wrote it initially two years ago. But since then, obviously, the whole Britney story has really evolved. Yeah. And it's become something completely different. So it's really an examination of 90s, 90s misogyny. But okay. it's kind of framed as a love letter to Britney Spears so we're going to have some Britney bops in there there will be some dark moments I look at like Bill Clinton Monica Lewinsky Janet Jackson Naughty's reality TV okay but it's I mean I'm really really proud of it I just can't wait for people to see it and so you wrote this and it's you on stage by yourself 
yeah so it's a one woman show so I would say if you're not into me maybe stay at home because that's kind of the play I'm not gonna like like nobody's gonna be coming out of this saying really liked the play but wasn't that gone on GBJ like it's kind of one and the same so it's it is my first play and there's definitely comedy there for sure but it's got it's more serious moments as well so it's my first time doing theatre but I, I have to say, I just cannot wait. I'm I'm a little bit nervous, obviously, because it is a bit different. You know, I'm generally kind of known for doing stand-up and there is stand-up there, but it's definitely more of a play than a stand-up show. But I feel like I'm really ready and the time is now. And, you know, I've always been a major fan of Britney. And I just think what's happened the last couple of years and the fact that it's just something that people have really kind of revisited and looked at again, that essentially frames this whole play, that it's about looking back and stuff and not necessarily litigating the past, but looking mm-hmm. back at stuff and thinking, how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. And if people want to get tickets, they can go to Smock Alley website and presumably they can go to your website, which is Julie J Comedy. Is that right? That's it. So I'm going to be in Smock this weekend. And then after that, we're going on tours. So we're going to Donegal. We're going to Derry. We're going to Wexford. We are going to um, Leitrim. We're going all over and you can get tickets for those shows on my website, which is juliejcomedy.com. Fantastic. Well, her favourite movie is Moonlight. Her new show is Oops, This Is Toxic in Smock Alley this weekend but also going on a nationwide tour she says don't come and see it if you don't like Julie J but who doesn't like Julie J thanks a lot thanks John you don't think my joke was funny what's wrong nothing I'm good no I didn't seem good. And you ain't it. And stop putting your head down in my house. You know my rule. It's all love and all pride in this house. You feel me? I can't hear you. Do you feel me? Yeah. Okay. I feel you. All right. A clip there from Moonlight, the glorious moonlight such a wonderful movie you heard janelle monet the singer there uh talking from that piece of dialogue and that was chosen by julie j comedian extraordinaire julie j as her favorite movie and my thanks to her that is it for this week next week what are we doing next week loads of stuff there's just loads of stuff happening over the next few weeks i can't get into it all now just show up come along next week it'll be good I promise you, and the week after, and the week after that, not to give myself feet of clay, but I have a pretty busy few weeks coming up. I'm just not sure when what's going out, but you know what I mean. I probably should have thought about this before I said it to you. Anyway, we're all friends here. That's it for this week. My thanks to Amory Kane, who helped out on the show this week, as she does every week. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage, you can email me screentime at newstalk.com or you can tweet me, John underscore Fardy. Just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on newstalk.com or the News Talk app. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care and stay safe.